There's no denying that we have been on one heck of a year. And throughout this year in particular, if you're listening to this in 2020, it's been a year of collective trauma, of panic, of fear, of anger, of rights movements, of cultural movements, of leadership demise, of pretty much everything that we could experience as humans. And that's why I thought it was really important to end this year on a note where collectively we can come together to heal our individual trauma and pain and really look at what's possible for us, how we can tap into our full human potential and how we can go on to lead our best possible lives. This episode is for every single one of us. Hi, I'm Natalie Sisson, an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, host of this untapped podcast and a lover of handstands and dogs. I've spent over a decade building successful businesses I love and teaching others to do the same. I want to help you tap into your unlimited potential and make the income and impact you desire simply by being you. In fact, I'm on a mission to help 1,000 women earn at least $10,000 a month and contribute at least 1% of their revenue to causes that they truly care about so that together we can create a ripple effect in this world. So if that sounds like you and you're on board to learn how to make the mindset shifts you need to have the business success you want and the lifestyle that you desire, then this is the podcast for you. My guest on this episode is Jennifer Storm, an award-winning victim rights expert, advocate and best-selling author who's been featured on the Today Show, New York Times and People. She shares her story of how she channeled her pain into a healing life of advocacy. I love that Jennifer is brutally honest, she's vulnerable, and she has absolutely no qualms in sharing the truth about her painful past and what she's done to overcome the suffering that she once experienced and go on to become a beacon of hope to show other survivors that you can get beyond your trauma to find happiness and thrive in life. We discussed a lot of things. We discussed Jennifer's journey and her story and how she healed herself and what she did to do that who she reached out to for support and how you can too. We talked about post-traumatic growth, practical steps for survivors from sexual trauma and substance abuse. We talked about the fact that you're not alone, that you have the power to heal, that you can have healthy relationships after sexual trauma or trauma in general. We talked about the collective trauma that we're all experiencing due to the current pandemic, social and political environment, and how to be empowered throughout that. And then we talked about the power of doing work on yourself every single day to be your best self and tap into your full potential. And finally, Jennifer has written five books and it's been a really cathartic experience for her, both as memoirs and educational books. And I thought it was really interesting to discuss that and how she's used that as a tool for not only reclaiming her own life, but showing others how to do the same, heal within and have the happiness that they really desire in life. So this is a great episode. Let's dive in. Jennifer Storm, welcome to the Untapped Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It is fabulous to have you on the show. And first off, I would love to ask, how do you tap into your potential and get paid to be you? You know, I think it's just being the best version of yourself and showing up in all the ways that I am passionate. And so as a writer, it's just constantly writing and constantly putting out the energy that I want to share with the world, which is really about hope and healing. And then in my work as a victim advocate, I kind of just stumbled into this work and I absolutely love what I do. And the fact that I get paid to help other people heal and thrive is just 
phenomenal. I consider myself very blessed, but it's also a tremendous amount of footwork. Yeah, let's talk about that. You said you stumbled into it, but I always think there's sort of a serendipitous path that kind of naturally (laughs) appears for people. So do you want to share a little bit more about how you came to do this very specific work, which is so needed more than ever, but I'd love to know. So I was raped as a child, and that was this kind of seminal event that just completely and totally changed my entire life. And so I went down this really dark path of uh, self-harm and addiction as a coping mechanism. And I lived in that space for about 10 years where I was suicidal and I was self-loathing and just pickling away. And fortunately, I was able to turn my life around in 1997 and I found hope and I found recovery. And so I really, at that point, I was 22. So I had not gone to college because I was just not really college worthy at that point. And when I looked at starting to go to college, I wanted to do drug and alcohol counseling because I thought, let me give Mm. back this like wonderful gift that I've been given. And then as I started to move through the collegiate experience and started to educate myself, I kind of revealed one final secret that I had been keeping, and that was that I was gay. And so when I came out, I got really involved in activism and civil rights and you know, just using my voice. And then I became a victim of crime again. So I was a victim of a hate crime. And what I learned is that this criminal justice system actually has helpers. They have navigators and they're called victim advocates. I had no idea. I was Mm -hmm. raped in 1987. We didn't have advocates then. I didn't know. I was really sheltered from the justice process and my family really kind of took control. And so this whole new world opened up to me. So as I was starting to learn about LGBT rights and civil rights, then I started to hear about victims' rights. And Mm -hmm. it just, all these light bulbs went off for me. And I was like, oh, this is where I need to be. And so I started to pursue a career in victim services. And ran a nonprofit organization for 10 and a half years, helping victims of all crime from theft to sexual assault to domestic violence to homicide, and just have fell in love with the movement. And there's so much silence around victimization, especially interpersonal victimization, and being a part of shattering that silence and giving victims empowerment and choices and options and voice and validity and healing and hope. It's just, it's infectious. And I absolutely love it. Wow, what powerful work. Um, There's so much I want to dive into there just in that story. But what did you personally do to process? You said you were in a pretty bad place and then you managed to kind of gain control. Did you have outside support or did you go through this on your own and figure it out? Because I'm sure a lot of people are listening like, how how do you really reclaim your life and work through something as as traumatic as rape? So initially it was my drug and alcohol addiction almost killed me. And so when I kind of came to in in a psych ward and I was alive, it was startling for me, first of all. And then it was also kind of propelled me into the space of, okay, that's not working. What used to be my solution to dealing with all of these horrible emotions is no longer working and it almost killed me. So I had to kind of make that admission that my solution was my problem. And so I went to a very traditional drug and alcohol rehabilitation center and it wasn't trauma informed. And so it really didn't give me a safe place to process the trauma of being raped. But there was a woman there that said something that stayed with me and I still say it all the time. And that was that her secrets kept her sick. Mm -hmm. And so I started to look back on my life and think, wow, I have a lot of secrets and I have like a lot of stuff that I've never talked about. And it all really stems back from being raped as a child. And so I started to write. That was my first safe 
mechanism to heal and to start identifying triggers and to start getting to the why of the use. I knew for whatever reason, very intuitively, that if I didn't wanna die, and if I didn't wanna keep living the way I was living, I was gonna to have to really change how I behave to all of my emotions and my triggers because my instinct was to run, run into a bottle, run into a razor blade, like run from my feelings. And so writing was that first place and then slowly trusting people to express it outwardly. And I found a trauma therapist, thankfully, very early on, because in traditional 12-step rooms and spaces, you really can't talk about trauma and you can't talk about sexual violence. And, and quite frankly, it's not safe to do so. And unfortunately, 12-step spaces have also been known to create victimization. And so it's not a safe space. And so finding a therapist or if it's a counselor, a therapist, clergy, whoever, someone you trust that you can process through that stuff with, that's what really got down to healing those wounds that I had. And they were psychological, they were emotional wounds. And if I had just stuck with 12 steps, it would have been like putting a Band-Aid over a bullet hole. And so I really knew that I had to get down into that wound and clean it out and then create new mechanisms to deal with life on life's terms. Because let's face it, life on life's terms, you're not promised perfection. You're not promised mm -hmm. a trauma-free life. You have to figure out how to navigate through this experience we call life, which can be really hard and triggering and painful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm mm -hmm. so glad you found that therapist early on because as we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, but not enough. And so I'm so glad you're here today is around the fact that we all have trauma on varying levels and degrees and that we actually really need to do the work to process that. And there are people out there to help like you to actually do that. Now that I've opened my eyes to that, and I have to say I'm super fortunate. My trauma is tiny and I had a very, very happy upbringing and all sorts, but I didn't even realize that even with that, you still have trauma, even just in those moments when you're a kid, Yes. not talking about what you went through, but even before that, just that moment a parent telling you off or looking at you in a strange way or something happening, you process it in that moment with such limited capacity, but it can affect you for a lifetime. I think I had just no idea. I was very oblivious to how impactful that is. And then to see people walking through their life, not doing anything about that and letting it impact them every single day and not untapping their potential and living up to their full potential is really sad. So I can imagine the work that you do must be incredible. I mean, it must be incredibly hard and challenging, but also incredible to see when those people get it and do the work and process that just how they're free to be them and yeah. all their glory, which must be yeah. amazing. Um, so thank you for doing the work that you do. No, um, thank you. I'd love to know specifically with your situation, how, and for people listening who have gone through any type of trauma on a major level, how do you go on, especially after what you went through to have a healthy, happy relationship? Because I imagine that I've been listening to some podcasts, been reading some books around this, and I imagine that must be incredibly hard as well. And you're in a super happy marriage and which is brilliant. So how does one go about really achieving that? It's a lot of work. And so I will say this, I, I made a whole lot of mistakes and, <laughs> you know, relationships and attraction and sex and love, they were all other escape routes that I would travel down, right? It's funny, like you can put a drink down, you can put the drugs down, but there are other tools and mechanisms that we can use and abuse, right? Food, people, and relationships are a big one. And your relationship really is a reflection of how you view yourself what your self-esteem level is. And so if you still have toxic 
energy in your life, it's going to come out in your relationships. And so it took me a really long time and I kissed a lot of frogs. And and then I found this amazing human being. So I think first and foremost, it's doing the work on yourself and it's a lot of work, but it's rewarding and it's fulfilling. And in this really long, vast journey through life, to not put that work in and to not care about yourself enough to do that work. It's such a travesty Mm -hmm. because it's just going to lead down other roads of unnecessary pain and unnecessary trauma. And I went down some pains of unnecessary paths of trauma in the relationship department until I started to really do the work on myself. And it's a daily process. That's the other thing. So I think for me, it was finding the right person that had all the same values and beliefs and characteristics that I had So that together, when we came together, obviously there was the attraction and there was the immediate kind of bonding, but then it was, okay, what do we value? And do we value family? And do we value honesty? And do we value integrity? And are we going to work towards this relationship Mm -hmm. through the good, the bad, and the ugly? Because people change. Mm -hmm. We have both, you know, my wife and I have been together for 11 years now. We have both changed a lot and we've had a tremendous amount of joy and success and then a lot of pain and adversity. Mm -hmm. And through it all, we have stayed a united front and we have committed to our relationship values, which are communication, honesty, integrity. And I think that's what's helped us work. And it's gotten better, even though we've gone through like really bad times through those bad times, it's gotten better. And Interestingly enough, I just, I have my newest book, Awakening Black Elk Girl, is really about diving deep into those spaces where I have healed. And sex is one of those places Mm -hmm. that I always struggled with a little bit. And as most sexual assault survivors, we do. There's trust issues. There is, oh gosh, there's just so much. And yeah, there's so much. And so in this book, I was like, oh, I'm going to write a chapter on relationships and sex. And as I started writing it, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I need to disentangle these two because they're so different. Mm -hmm. And what's really common for survivors of sexual violence, and I'll put this in my own framework, for me is I used sex and it was a tool. At times it was a weapon. It was an escape, but it was also a really big source of pain and control. And so as I began to kind of write about it, I was like, oh, I started to kind of heal places in myself that I didn't even realize I could still heal or needed healing. And so for me, writing is always the number one mechanism I go to. Yeah, it's just what I turn to. It's my coping mechanism. But I'm really proud of that chapter because what I hope it does is it gives other survivors the freedom to go on that same journey that I did. And I hope it liberates them in the same way that it's liberated me because my wife and I have come to a very different place in our sex life now. And it's wonderful. It's just a place I never thought I could be. I always just thought, oh, this is just one of those barriers to being a survivor that I'll never navigate through. And it just goes to show you that you can navigate through anything. It's just, you need time, you need commitment, you need work. Do that's beautiful, beautiful to hear, and hope to everybody listening that I think first off, I love what you said earlier. You know, it is about the daily process of doing the work on becoming your best self, and then there's the daily process of doing that with the love of your life, or the partner, or your friends, or your family, and then there's the daily process of doing that at a collective level, at a societal level. And it all sounds like a lot of work, but it's the work that really matters and it gives you that super fulfilling life and it allows you to really feel and be alive and take the good with the bad and really live fully. So yeah. 
I just, yeah, I really wish it for everybody, even though it can be hard and challenging. That's where resilience is built. That's where fortitude is built. That's where your best self comes yes. out. And you don't just get your best self by sitting around scrolling an Instagram feed and reading a few books. So Exactly. And no, it's yeah. about progress. It's about being a part of the solution every day mm-hmm. and showing up every day in the places that matter. Your own, for yourself, for your personal life, for your community. And then it's forward progress. Mm-hmm. And my take on that is that I'm always as authentic as I possibly can be. So if I'm having a rough day, the people that connect with me or follow me are going to know that. Like I'm always my authentic self because that's part of the process and that's part of the progress, right? Mm-hmm. I don't wake up every day looking great, feeling great. And I don't believe in facades or putting a fake step forward. It's like, no, this is what life is on life's terms. And let's talk about it. Let's go through these struggles together. 100%. Yeah, actually just reminded me that my next book, I know you've had five and we'll talk through those, but it's called Suck It Up Princess. And it literally was on a day when I was, <laughs> I was having it. a really bad day and I was just in this wallowing space, which I'm not in often. And I just couldn't fathom it because I had everything to be grateful for. And I was like, why am I feeling so wah? And I literally said that out loud to myself and I was like, oh, where'd that come from? It's like somebody telling me off from within me. And it's yep. the premise of the book, which is hilarious actually. But that was an example of, yeah, just turning up going, I don't know what it is today, but I'm not happy yeah. today. Can't shake it. And I think yeah. I really appreciate that because yeah. it is real. Life's not honest. roses all the time, even though I love it to be. So yeah. let's take it all and share it all, which brings me, I think, really nicely to this collective trauma that we've been experiencing due to COVID-19, the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, moving into a whole lot of political unrest around the world, to be honest. There are some really interesting leaders who shouldn't be in leadership positions right now, and I think there's this collective awakening to how broken in many ways our, our world is, our planet, our societies, our political systems, our relationships, so many things. So how do we, or how are you advising people? Because I'm sure you're doing your work to sort of navigate through that. How can we as individuals use this time to really do some growing and yeah. awaken ourselves to what's possible? I think first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that we are all in this moment of collective trauma. And that regardless of where you are and what your belief systems are, that there's no escaping what's happening right now. And so it's trying to figure out, okay, what does that trauma look like for me in my life? How is it showing up? And then what do I need to do to move through that on a daily basis, right? And so I think that's important for folks that are just kind of blowing this off or maybe not wanting to deal with this pandemic and not wanting to deal with the political realities or turning the television off. Those things, you can do that for a moment, but you have to really acknowledge that we are present in this really uncomfortable, strange time in history, and that we need to kind of show up and navigate through that so that we can survive it. And so I think that's first and foremost. And then it's setting those boundaries around yourself that are protective, like how much media can I ingest today? Should I be turning off certain notifications on my phone? How much news am I going to allow myself to ingest? What are the things that I can do to take care of myself each and every day that make me feel better, that help me process? I've written a lot, especially in the very beginning of the pandemic, about we have this awesome ability to synthesize our emotional responses. 
but it's finding those synthesizers, like what works for you. And for me, my go-to emotion is anger. It always has been. It always will be. It's just, I bypass the sadness. I go right to the defense mechanism. <laughs> and, well, yeah, you know about yourself too. I do. Right. And so, yeah. So I have found that I need to do like really high intense exercise, physical activity in order to synthesize that. And so I make sure I build that into my schedule every day. I make sure that if I need to cry, then I create a safe space where I can emote safely. And then I can synthesize those emotions. And what I find is that I start in one place and it might be a place of fear or of anger or of deep sadness because of what's happening around us. And if I take care of myself properly, I get to this other place of action and change and hope and healing. And then I can actually show up in the world and be a productive contributor, whether it's writing, whether it's reaching out to people, whether it's what I put out on social media is inspirational as opposed to devastating. (laughs) But you have to start with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think every single person on this planet has a corner of their lives and has a piece of their world where they can make a difference. And so I think it's believing and knowing that regardless of what you do every day, it has an impact. It's like that butterfly effect, right? The way you respond and the way you show up in your personal life for yourself and in the world matters and it can make a huge difference. And that's powerful. And I think people forget that we have that power. And then collectively, if a bunch of us do that all at once, it can have this beautiful ripple effect of change and healing and hope. Yeah, 100%. I really love the recent documentary from Dr. David Attenborough. And it's kind of his last stand, I guess, because I can't believe he's 94. But what Mm. I particularly liked about it is because it is about saving our planet, but actually it's about saving the human race. And it's the first time that he's talked about the planet and nature will go on without us, but we right now are destroying ourselves. But what I particularly liked about it is that was like a complete bummer. Like bummer's not even the right word, but you're watching it going, Oh crap. And then we get to the end and he actually gives actionable steps for every individual to take at both at personal level, but collectively and gives Mm. you some hope that if we all act with our own intention and with our own piece of power, that there's an opportunity here to save ourselves. And I think it just really hits home in that moment because sometimes you're doing these individual things of, is this recycling on a very small level? Is this recycling really help? Or is this honest conversation with a friend really going to help? And if you can make an impact on one person's life, that's one Mm -hmm. person. doesn't mean it's not thousands, but that person's life is impacted. And then they get to go on and create a ripple effect. And sometimes when you feel so small, it's just remembering that. It can, you can really easily go to the dark places of where we've been through this pandemic and the isolation. And what I would say to people is let yourself go to those dark places. They're purposeful. Just try not to linger in them, right? It's the lingering in them that keeps us in that place of depression and mental unwell. If you can kind of go into that darkness and then come out of it and be able to use those experiences to help another person, then that's huge. Every action we have has an equal reaction. And so the only thing we can control is our response to stimulus. That's it. That, that's just like really the only ability. We wake up every day and we control like what, how we respond to the things that are around us. Mm-hmm. So for some of us, we have to create mechanisms that allow us to make sure that the way that we show up is in our best way and being our best versions of ourselves. And then when we don't, make amends for it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's important to actually clean yes. up 
clean up the, the street. Yeah, yes. thank you. Yeah. Clean up that mess. Be honest about it. Go back. Apologize if you need. Say, hey, yeah. I wasn't clear with you there. I broke yeah. a pact. I wasn't true to my word. I was dishonest. Like, just be really freaking open about it. People really yeah. appreciate that. It's very yeah. rare that that happens. In all your work with victims, I think you've probably got a ton of powerful lessons that you can share with people listening. And one of those things you were just sort of talking about before was around anger and how it can be actually a healthy emotion to have. I and mean, it can be worse, I think, when you bottle it up. So you talked about some things that you do yourself to, I guess, allow that to be present, but use it in a powerful way. So you exercise, you do the high intensity, you let those emotions out, but being really aware of who and with and people who can handle that, etc. What are some of the really common emotions that victims experience that they sometimes don't even realize how they're affecting them. And I'm, I'm sure it's not just victims, it's probably everyday people yeah. dealing with this. So what are some of the most, I guess, common and can you maybe break some myths around how to use them in a way that's actually empowering if yeah. that's, that's the case? So I think the number one emotion that is universally experienced is shame. And it just shows up, right? And it's confusing because sometimes for victims, it can feel really counterintuitive because here's this thing that happened to you. And then when you have this immediate internal response to blame yourself and to feel like you did something wrong, it's so counterintuitive that it really does mess with your head. And that's where you get into depression and self-loathing and self-worth issues and anger and so here's what I learned kind of early on is that shame is biological. It's literally a biological response to trauma. So the shame that a rape victim feels is the same shame that someone who is struck by a truck and survives feels because it's a biological response. It's a neurological response in your brain. And for me, that was really freeing because I was like, oh, so wait a minute, this isn't really just me beating myself up yeah. and I'm not like emotionally broken. There's literally a, a biological neurological response happening in my brain that's creating this flood of emotion. And so that for me helped me realize like, okay, then that means there are things that I can do to retrain my brain and there are things that I can do that can be helpful. And so I'm a big believer that sometimes our brains are bad neighborhoods, so we should sometimes get out of them. And there are times when our brains tell us really bad things and we have to like sort that stuff out. And so I always tell people, write down what your brain is telling you. Just write it down on a piece of paper, regardless of how horrific it is or speak it out loud to someone and then analyze it and then try to see like, is this even rational? Is it real? Where's the evidence that says I am a piece of crap? Where is the evidence that says I am at fault for this? And then kind of go down that and then start to, just like your brain is telling you these bad things, affirm yourself. Tell yourself otherwise. There's a lot of power in affirmation. And it seems so like Pollyanna, but it's true. Put notes, like I'll tell people, put post-it notes all over your home. If you're having a bad day or if you know particularly there are certain things that are triggering, make sure that you're affirming yourself and you're retraining your brain. Like, no, I'm not a bad person. I'm a person that's living in an experience that is really hard and I'm having these normal responses to this really abnormal thing and I'm okay and I'm going to get through this and it's okay that I'm not okay today. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I'm a person struggling with something, right? So like all those affirmations that help to retrain your brain to say, no, this is not your fault and you can get through this. Yeah. I love that. And I think 
I've done that process myself of when you're listening to that inner critic or the imposter syndrome, or as you said, just the shitty stuff that's in your brain. (laughs) And you actually write it down and then you flip it into a positive statement. Super, super empowering and totally the power out of that criticism and turns it into a positive. And I'm I'm just looking because we had a friend who stayed with us a year ago and she put beautiful little post-it notes up around the house and surprise places that we kept discovering for six months later and I have one right here on my desk I can't find it it's usually really visible and I love it it's like something about you're being a powerful human in this world and doing beautiful work today Natalie and it's just like makes you smile even on days when you don't need it it's just like yeah so imagine I just had this vision when you were talking about a, a post-it note house. <laughs> Could you imagine this, them everywhere, like behind I the door and in the pantry and on your mirror, but also just in really obvious places. So you're constantly, as you said, rewiring your brain to look for that um, and to yes. see hope and to see joy and to see courage and to see confidence and to see opportunity and to see possibility. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Post-it note yeah. House. Maybe post-it note wallpaper could be a thing. That could be, that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be pretty cool, huh? People like you, affirmations can be everywhere. And I love that you said that for some people it sounds so Pollyanna because I probably would have been one of those people years back who was like, really, how how much impact does it have? And then I've read the science around it and the rewiring neurological patterns that come from positive reaffirmations and mantras. So it is powerful yet simple. I think some of the simplest things are the most powerful and we disregard them because they don't seem complex or super scientific or very methodical. We really, we do gloss over the simple beauty and things that are easy for us to understand and then should be easy for us to apply. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you as a parent, nothing has been more evident in the way that we are wired and how at such an early age, the way we're impacted. I and mean, we talked about this in the very beginning, right? Like everyone's traumatic experiences are different. They're unique. And some maybe feel smaller than others, but not the belief that if it impacted you, then it's big for you, right? But I see it in my son in how negative stimulus impacts him versus positive. And you see how it takes like four times more work to rebuild from a negative experience than it does from a positive. And so as a parent, I have learned just so much about the value of nurturing and the value of communication and the value of affirmation. It's huge. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix. I have. I mean, I think the way they visualize that throughout, and I know it's there's controversy, et cetera, but just the way mm-hmm. they modeled that young guy with his phone oh. and how quickly he went into a downward spiral because he just got fed this negative news. And you're right. He was a super positive, healthy, active, sports going, friendly, social guy who just got derailed. It was a very powerful visual. And I imagine for a lot of parents watching that, just going, Oh my gosh, like this is it. Yes. Yeah. Which comes back to your point before about limiting access to news, to social, to outside influences that really aren't sitting with you emotionally, especially if you're already having a hard day and you're doubtful or you're sad or you're upset or you're angry to then put that there just proliferates how you're feeling. So I really love that Mm -hmm. limiting those who's in your world. And then I'd love to also talk about, because I think I did a disservice by glossing over at the beginning when you were talking about these victim services that are available for people, which is powerful to know about. And I'd love to know more. And I know it'll be US focused, but does this exist around the world to your knowledge? Like I didn't even know either that this was available for people. So I'd love to come back to that for people who are listening, because I think that's super important to know that 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 exists. Yes. So there are victim services across the world. 
they obviously look different and I don't have a tremendous amount of experience in terms of like New Zealand and Australia. I can tell you in Europe, it's not as aggressive as it is in America. My wife is from the Netherlands. And so, and, and I'm in, actually involved right now in a documentary that I'm crossing my fingers. I'm hoping to go over to Europe and kind of talk with them about victims' rights and about the way that we have victims engaged in our justice processes here in America. So I'd say in America, it's pretty progressive. But again, it's a, an early movement. It's about 30, 35 years old and really trying to talk about balance and restorative justice. So in America, there are victim services everywhere. Every county, every region, every area, every state has a lot of victim services. And then throughout different nations and countries, it's usually what, I, what I'm finding is it's more like compensation focused. So it's not necessarily the victim being pulled into the justice process and engaged in a balanced way. It's more, we're going to compensate your therapy or we're going to compensate medical expenses. And then, it, but don't come to court and don't be engaged unless we need you as a witness. And so I think that's where, at least what I've seen in Europe is what I'm really hoping to bring to Europe to talk about, well, you know, there's actually a, lot, a much larger role for victims and survivors, and they're not just a piece of evidence. They have a right to be there. This is something that happened to them. And without that, there wouldn't even be a proceeding. There wouldn't even be something happening in the justice system. So it definitely varies. But like I said, it's usually more compensation focused in around the world. But then in America, it's very much about like, you're right. I think that's how we are as Americans, right? Yeah. We're very centered around our autonomy and our right to be everything in the world, right? Um, so, of course, our victims' rights would show up in that way, too. <laughs> and have you seen more of this popping up in this year in particular around other areas as well? Obviously, victims part of that, but even with Black Lives Matter and a lot of racial segregation and just people dealing with that plus a pandemic, is there more that you've seen available to people or is it just kind of expanded beyond the realm of victims in what traditional areas it's been available? I think we've seen a big pivot towards the distribution of service online, right? Because especially when we went into the height of the pandemic and we were in lockdown, you couldn't physically go see your therapist. You couldn't physically go to a counselor. You couldn't physically go to a 12-step meeting or physically go to a support group. So it forced our entire mental health industry, child care industry, like everybody was just pivoting online. And so as a result of that, I think there have been some really beautiful communities that have begun to pop up on the internet. And obviously you always have to be careful with the internet and you have to make sure it's a vetted safe place that you're going to. But like one space is called She Recovers and actually it started mm -hmm. in Canada and they have over, I think a half a million people on their Facebook page and they hold trauma informed yoga. They do mindful meditation. They do support groups and meetings. And it's just this like beautiful space that you can go and just get support. And so We've definitely seen that. And that I think has been across the world, right? It's been pretty universal. And then just in silly ways, like on TikTok and various social media apps where people have come up and they've decided to like use those platforms to encourage and to share hope and to spread positivity. And so you've even dancing. seen dancing. Yeah. yeah just like yeah. laughter and dancing. Yeah. But then like on Instagram, you see these normally really unaccessible people like Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle just jumping on live and having conversations with their followers, right? At what point would you ever have an opportunity to have a free moment with Brene Brown, right? Or mm -hmm. Oprah. So I think it's also created so this 
yeah, it's created this community that otherwise would have never been accessible to the average person or like bands just saying, you know what, we're going to commit to coming online and doing concerts for free. It's been amazing for art and art, I believe is a huge component for healing and is huge access point for healing. So in those ways, I've seen some real beautiful healing that I don't think started as like trauma-informed healing, but the end result was like, you made that person laugh. You made that person feel good. You took that person out of isolation for a moment and gave them hope. And that's trauma-informed care right there. There you go. Yeah, beautiful examples. I remember Coldplay, Chris Martin during long lockdown. I mean, he was just doing daily playing on his piano and it was amazing. It was like he was there in your living room with you and he's such a lovely guy and you wouldn't have necessarily known that through the big stages and concerts that I've been to. And yeah, yeah, you're right. There were so many artists that really brought their gifts out and helped people heal during that time or feel connected, which brings me back to that point you said about before about US being so advocate for the independent person. I feel like now more than ever, it's actually about we. It's about collectively what can we do and how can we support each other and go forth because everything that's happened this year, this is going to extend on for years. And then we're going to have potential other world circumstances like this. And it just needs to be that collective change of, okay, yeah, I can look after me and fulfilling my potential and being my best self is important in order to serve others, in order to help others. It's that shift that so many people have to make, I think. And also it just feels better when you're helping others and it's not all about you. I feel that's when you can stay in your trauma is when you're constantly, I feel there can be sometimes too much work to be done on yourself when you need to actually start thinking about how can I do this with somebody else or for somebody else or with somebody else. You feel that you're seeing that change or do you see change and healing from people who actively engage in that? I do. And here's where I think I see it. I can speak from an an American perspective, right? One of the downfalls of capitalism and one of the downfalls of kind of American culture is that it has become so much about the individual and it's Mm -hmm. become about success and power and control. And we have just really pulled away from community. And it used to be in America, like you knew your neighbors and your neighbors knew your children and they helped you look after them. And there really was this kind of village concept. And we abandoned that a very long time ago. And I feel like it has been an eroding cancer in our country. And nothing has brought that more to the forefront than our most recent leadership and how divisive and just vile this country's rhetoric has been what this pandemic has done and what some of the movements, the Black Lives Matter movements and the election has done is we're bringing back community and we're bringing back that collective responsibility for each other. And so I've had more conversations with my neighbors, like my friends and I are way more supportive and like, do you need me to run to the store? Can I get this for you? Can I check in on your dog? Oh, you have to work late tonight. What can I do for you? And we're becoming a village again. And the beauty of that is It's about collective care and it's about understanding and appreciating that we are in this together. And that individualistic outlook is really, it's not productive and it's not healing and it leads to more isolation and more division in our country. And so I'm seeing that just in my own community, in my own neighborhood, in my own circle of people, but I'm also seeing it play out worldwide in just the connections that are happening across the the world as a result of this. And it's beautiful and it's needed. And I think it's what we need to heal this world. I really do. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a beautiful place to end on, but I would love for you to just I know this isn't on video, but for those listening, you've written five books, <laughs> which is one incredible, two 
a massive healing journey for you and hopefully for many others. Do you just want to, and the fifth one, the latest one is also a documentary. Is that correct? A film? So the fourth book, so the first book I wrote is Blackout Girl, which is my story. It's a memoir. And I just republished that book with new updated content and this discussion guide and just really kind of brought it back up because it's probably more relevant today than it was Mm -hmm. 10, 11 years ago when I wrote it. But Awakening Blackout Girl is the one that I just published. And that's more of a kind of a survivor's guide. And it's really about healing from addiction and recovery. And it's just, but it's also part memoir because I use my own life experiences and stories from my life. I did start filming a documentary based on Blackout Girl and also really talking about these connections between victimization, addiction, and trauma. And so we've got about a 10-minute clip. And then obviously we haven't been able to do much given the pandemic and everything happening and fundraising has kind of come to a screeching halt. So that's the documentary. And then in between those books, I wrote another memoir called Leave the Light On. And that one's really about my journey as a young person getting clean and sober and going to college and what does that look like and coming out of the closet. And so it's really more focused on like those early mistakes that I made, those early relationship experiences, and really just trying to figure out who I am. And then finally, I have a book called Picking Up the Pieces Without Picking Up. And that really is a a guide through the various victims' rights that people have, the various justice processes and accessing those, but while building healing and hope and supportive mechanisms in those experiences. And so there's a lot of options. There's a lot of activities. There's exercises, mantras, meditations in that book, but it's also really educational. So those are the books. And my publisher just came out with this beautiful journal to accompany Awakening Blackout Girl because it's very writing driven. Like there's some exercises in there too. So. And I love how you've kind of put your life out there on a bigger platform as an open book, literally and metaphorically and figuratively and all those things, which is incredible because it allows other people to be able to go, okay, I can see myself in the story. I've been there. I have a support path now. I have an understanding. I feel held. I feel supported. I feel not alone, which is incredibly important. So thank you for the work. I'll make sure I link those all in the podcast show notes. Where is the best place for people to find out more about you, buy those books, support you, say hello on Instagram, and thank you for sharing your time on this podcast today. Sure. So my website is simply just my name, Jennifer Storm. My Instagram account is storm119, which November 9th, that's my sobriety day. So it's very meaningful to me. And I love engaging individuals on Instagram. Like I, if you DM me, I will respond. I do these self-care Sunday live events every Sunday. I'm also thinking about starting a smaller like support type of a mechanism online, especially as we go into these darker months that are going to be hard. So yeah, connect with me on Instagram. My books are available at all book retailers, obviously Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your libraries for those that can't afford to go out and buy a book. They are available at the library. You can also purchase them on my website. With the holidays coming up, I can personalize them and then ship them right to you as well that way. Nice. That sounds wonderful. So many ways. Thank you so yes. much for your time, for your love, for your dedication, for your vulnerability, for your openness. It's really, really appreciated and needed. Thank you so much for doing this and for having me and best of luck with your books as well. Thank you. I really trust that you enjoyed that conversation, that you got a lot out of it, that you have some options if you've been feeling alone or afraid or angry or in pain or in hope and wanting to support others through their journey. This really is a year where I feel the world has awakened to what is possible if we collectively band together and use our immense 
human power as individuals to make the change that we want to see. And I really, really wish for you as we head into 2021 that one, it's not like the year will just change in something overnight with New Year's and champagne corks and bubbles flying, but that we actually make this a year that we want to remember, that we want to make change in, that we want to see the story of our life unfold in the way that we want it to, not just for us, but for our friends, for our family, for our peers, for our clients, for our customers, for our communities, for our societies, for our countries, and more. So if you are in reflection mode, I hope this podcast has helped. In the show notes, we've also listed some other excellent podcasts from this year that will help that will show you possibility and hopefully leave you feeling excited and energized for what's to come. Thank you so much for listening in all year, for being there for me, for rating and reviewing this podcast, for your incredible engagement and feedback on social, especially on Instagram, for just general feedback that you've given me about episodes that you've enjoyed and why and the guests that we've had on. It means so much to me because it's important work and I love podcasting. And as I've said many times, I'm just standing here on the end of the microphone hoping that this is landing for you, hoping that you're learning a lot, that you're getting a lot out of this, that you're having those aha moments and that you are seeing the possibility and the magic that awaits. And if you really, really like to end this year and start into the new one on a completely different note, I encourage you to take part in my plan, your profitable freedom year like a boss. This is a four-part online course where you actively work through what is going to make your year amazing. You reclaim your big year, your visions and your goals, and then you set yourself up for the success that you want. So this ain't no ordinary workshop, by the way. It has built-in breaks for you to learn and apply. It has some pre-work to do, which is partly reflection, which would be a perfect thing for you to do right now. And then we go into step one, setting your 12-month vision. Step two, mapping out your juicy life and business goals. Step three, creating your one-page profitable business plan. And step four, creating your profitable content calendar. So if that sounds awesome and you want to do all of that in less than two hours and have an incredible year ahead, head to nataliesisson.com forward slash workshop for all the juicy details and quite frankly, one of the most beautiful pages that we have ever built on the website. So huge thanks to my team. It's been the year of building the dream team for me. It's been a long and humbling experience. And I'm just super glad to have the team on board that I do from seven different countries around the world, across all cultures. It's pretty amazing. So look out for more awesomeness from us in 2021. Much love and go forth and tap into your potential.